This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me on the phone this time from the band Dirty Honey, it is singer Mark LaBelle, who happens to be a great, great hockey fan. So yes, we talk music, but we also talk NHL. Unfortunately, he roots for the wrong team, but uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, You know, Dirty Honey is a band I got to see in late July at Heavy Montreal, and everybody says, you know what? They have a great new EP. The Dirty Honey EP came out in early uh, 2019, but you got to see them live. You got to see them live. That's where you'll get it. And uh, you know what? Yeah, that's where you'll get it. The, uh, The album or the EP is great, but live, man, this band just tears it up. Absolutely uh, fantastic. They are expected to be, quote-unquote, the next big thing, and I really don't see any reason why they wouldn't be. They deliver the goods, uh, as Judas Priest would say. Now, now the other thing I want to uh, quickly touch upon is, I would love to bring you more new bands, because people are always like, oh, well, you know, you talk about older bands from the 70s or the 80s, and there's no voice for the new bands. And it's like, well, yeah, you're right. There sort of is no voice for, for, for new bands because I'm telling you. And, and the numbers for, for this show will, will bear it out probably, unfortunately. What happens is when you feature a new band, your numbers on your episodes drop. And I'm not talking by 10 people or 100 people. I'm talking by 1,000, you know, thousands less downloads and listens. And it's unfortunate. So so I know a lot of us like to talk the talk, but not many of us walk the walk. So in the next couple of weeks here, I'm going to bring you a couple of new bands, and hopefully listeners will take the time to listen. And I won't see this huge, catastrophic fall-off in numbers, because I think it is essential that we support rock. Not just 70s rock, not just 80s rock, but all rock because we need to we need to have that that next generation move forward. So for those of you that write me and say, "Well, you should feature no, more new rock." Okay. Well, here we are. We're going to do it this month. But please, tune in and listen. Let, let's keep the numbers up. Let's keep it going. You know, talk the talk, but walk the walk. And a lot of new bands will will write me and say, "Hey, can I be on your show?" And sometimes I have to turn them away because I just know what's going to happen. So let's let's not make that a, a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. Let us not make that a truth. Let us have the guys from Kiss and Metallica and, and, and Slash and whoever on the show. But every so often, allow me to have a new artist and support it. Just keep listening. That's That's all I'm asking. And that's all the new artist needs is that you just give it a chance. So give Dirty a honey, give Dirty Honey a chance. Listen to what Mark has to say. He, he's a very, very lucid. He speaks great. So, so, so stay with me and listen to the whole thing, and uh, enjoy that. And uh, you know what? Let's let's just get right into this. Here is from Dirty Honey singer. Mark LaBelle. We are speaking with a Dirty Honey singer, Mark LaBelle. Mark, an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. How are you? You too. Nice to meet you finally in Montreal. Yeah. How was your heavy Montreal experience, by the way? It was awesome. Honestly, we, um, I don't think we could have had a better uh, first experience in Canada, to be honest. So it was um, 
a really good welcome and the show was great. We felt great about, about how we played. And, and, um, I think the audience really enjoyed it too. So it was, uh, it was a great experience. The festival was awesome. The food was great. Um, and Canadians are always nice too. So that helps. It, it helps that we ha- that we have that nice thing going. So, so talk to me. And by the way, um, I'll add this. Uh, I've been following all the reports coming out of heavy Montreal from, from fans and other media after, and I saw in French and in English, you know, La Découverte de la Fensemaine, the discovery of the weekend, Dirty Honey, and the name kept coming back. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It kept coming over and over and over again. Even uh, a buddy of mine, Mark Striegel, who works with, uh, uh, what's his podcast, Talking Rock or Talking Metal, he was like, oh, yeah. man, this is like the greatest band I saw this weekend. What a great discovery. Uh, one of many who said that. And yeah, absolutely. So let, let's talk about... Uh, being a discovery and getting discovered, how how difficult is it in this day and age, or how easy? I mean, it doesn't have to be negative. Is it to be yeah. discovered and, and become, you know, not just a bar band playing somewhere, but getting to that next level? How do you make it in today's world? Um, I, I, honestly, it's like a lot of hard work. If you're not um, willing to do the work, you know, if, if I feel like there's a lot of people that want to be, you know, rock stars or want to be famous more than anything today without actually doing any work. You know, we're living in this sort of Kardashian, um, you know, social environment that people think they can get famous for, for no reason, um, which is fine. I mean, it's totally possible, but, you know, I, a lot of people that I appreciate in in entertainment are artists and they're really hardworking artists, you know, um, from actors to musicians to radio personalities, um, and, and athletics too, it, it certainly falls into. And, you know, I, I think that's the first and foremost thing, like you can want something, but if you're not willing to put the hard work in then you know, you may get extremely lucky, but at the end of the day, you're not going to last very long. So, um, what it really came down to for us was, songwriting and you know we we were a really great cover band and we were kicking ass all over you know la playing acdc and aerosmith and soundgarden covers and bars but at the end of the day if you're going to be a an original band that's successful you got to have really good songs so that's where we shifted our focus and and we you know really put our money where our mouth was and flew out to Australia to make a record with a great producer, you know, so that, that sort of turned it all around for us. Well, okay. So talk to, talk to me a little bit about the craft of songwriting, because you look at some of the greatest songwriters uh, in the history and and I include some of the Canadians like Jim Valance and stuff, but how do you sort Mm -hmm. of craft, how do you go from playing ACDC covers to knowing that you have a song that is written and that is good enough, is it lyrical first? Is it uh, the music first? How do you sort of compose? Um, we go about it a couple different ways. I think everybody does a little bit of, of something, whether it's you know riff writing or lyrical writing or melody writing on their own. And really, when you know you have a good start, whether it's a riff or melody, um, that's that's when it, it becomes something that everybody sort of wants to work on. Um, like when I'm gone, for instance, was just a riff for a long time and kind of a verse and we didn't really have the chorus that we always had. It took a lot of time, you know, sussing it out in the studio and, and on my own, like a lot of late nights trying to find like the perfect 
melody to fit with the rest of the song. Um, but then Heartbreaker was a riff that Justin wrote and I knew, I just, I just knew he had this great riff and I wanted to expand on it for a long time and probably wrote a couple different versions of that song before we landed on the one that it is now. Um, and it went to various tempo changes and stuff. There's a, a little bit of experimenting with it, but you know, once you, the song that it wound up being actually came very quickly, but there was, you know, maybe a year and a half of work to get to that, um, you know, 10 minutes of like inspiration that pulled it all together, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it worked because, uh, my wife is a very tough critic and I was playing it for her earlier today and she's like, Hey, I like that song. <laughs> so yeah. if you get the Susan thumb up, you know, you're on, uh, you know, you're on, on solid ground. Um, but let me talk to you about, uh, how, the approach to getting music out there. 2018, you start off with the single fire away. Um, and then of course we, we get over to the dirty honey EP. Talk to me about that. Why not straight out of the box? Here's 12 songs. Here's our album. Let's go for it. Let's talk about the sort of slow burn and sort of creating a buzz and creating an anticipation. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's changed a lot. Um, the last, I don't know, decade or, or two even, um, there's, I honestly thought like, um, Greta did a really nice job, like sort of, you know, giving you a, a little taste and then giving you a little more, you know, six months down the line and then dropping an album. Um, but I, I'm not even, I don't necessarily subscribe to, you know, albums like being a necessary thing. I, I may or may not be alone in that, um, opinion in the band, but, um, I, I actually love the sort of like five song idea, um, uh, more frequently being released than one album every one or two years. Um, but then I, I also think back and it's like, I love Led Zeppelin one, two, three, and four. And I love the stones, uh, go Ted Zoop and exile on main street and toys in the attic is my favorite record. So I'm very conflicted, but it's like, I want people to hear the music at the end of the day and not feel overwhelmed by having to listen to an hour or more of music at once. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We we're all very opinionated when it comes to how much to release and, and at what time, but, um, certainly putting out more is, is on our, uh, almost immediate agenda, um, in the near future here. And by the way, you are right. Uh, Aerosmith toys in the attic is their best record, uh, you know, regardless. Yeah, of people. I would agree. I, I know people say rocks, but rocks doesn't have sweet emotion or walk this way. So back. No, off. slash would uh, disagree with us, but, um, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm a big toys in the attic fan. It's it, yeah, it's great. So, Okay, so now that you say you want to put out more music at a rapid pace, do we see the next sort of new EP in six months? Or has that plan been sort of sidetracked because uh, yeah, of the touring? Six, six months or less, I would I would think. I mean, geez, yeah, I would hope so. I think we, we're going to be off um, most of December, so I think that's going to be a big... We've already started pre-production for the next batch, whatever that's going to be. Um, and it's just a matter of carving out a couple of weeks to, you know, either go to Australia or go to whatever studio. We, we typically like to get out of LA to record just to be away from any possible distractions. Um, and our producer that we did this one with is in Australia and we loved it. So 
you know, it's not the easiest thing to, to fly out there and, and spend a few weeks um, when you've got so much going on. But, you know, we'll make it a priority to deliver another great product um, sooner than later, for sure. Okay, so so talk to me about your recording process in terms of getting in the studio, because I speak to a lot of artists who say, well, I live in L.A. and he lives in Florida and we send ourselves the tracks and I'll send him a vocal and he'll send me back a guitar thing. Is it important for you to be all in the studio and all focused on this? Yeah, or is it, yeah okay. I think that's, that's a big um, sticking point for us. It's just like all the records we love, like Toys in the Attic would be a good example. Rocks would be one, Appetite for Destruction, um, you know, pretty much everything like early from the Black Crows the Zeppelin stuff, like they were all in a room together, you know, cutting together, you know, at least tracking a, a performance of, of the song. And then you, you expand upon that, whether it's you throw a guitar solo on there or, um, you know, maybe you do some vocal harmonies or something, but the, the base of the track is very raw. It's a, a pretty much a live performance and you're trying to capture, you're trying to capture a performance rather than make the perfect performance if that makes sense right you want those it, it makes perfect sense there. yes and i'll yeah, tell you and, uh alan niven who sometimes co-hosts a show with me and used to manage guns and roses said that there is mm -hmm. a perfection in the imperfection and without a doubt right and that okay so let, let's just explore that for a second so if you have a bum note or a vocal that's a little thing but it just it has um it's in the zone. It has a groove. It has spirit, whatever the word I'm looking for right now. Do you keep it or do you throw it out? Because we're, we're so auto tuned and pitch corrected to death that, that everything is stale. Let, let's, you know, yeah, that's what we were trying to avoid, you know? And, and, um, I think it comes off that way. Like it feels like the record really feels alive. Like I, trust me, I had a lot of like issues with, you know, just the way it sounded. I gave the producer hell, you know, going, getting this from A to B and just saying, like, I don't really, I don't know. Like, I don't love the way this sounds or that sounds. And he was like, just trust me. He's like, cause you know, he was around when the black crows did, did their records. And he was like, when we put that stuff out, man, like everybody just thought it sounded like demos. Didn't, it wasn't like, didn't have any production. And, you know, he's just like, that's rock and roll, you know, like same with guns and roses. Like there's not, not really production on there. Um, so, you know, I, Heartbreaker, you know, I feel like I could sing that way better now after doing it a hundred times um, since leaving the studio and same with When I'm Gone and all the tunes, but like there's a certain human element to those recordings that, you know, make it feel a, a certain way, um, you know, like those records do that we're, we're talking about. Yeah, and, and that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, when, if you look back to the early Black Sabbath or any of those early bands where they had to do it like in twelve days, yeah, there, 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 there are mistakes everywhere. But that's the charm. Right? We, we, we need, yep. we need the charm. Um, talk to me a little and bit I about think yeah. like those big budgets. You know, what, once I mean, Appetite for Destruction costs. I think I saw an article like it was like three hundred seventy thousand dollars. But um, I think time like in the studio to music can can sometimes do what uh money does to comedy like they say money ruins comedy like for especially for movies um and it's just yeah you need you need that like pressure of, of your studio time being over to be able to 
it forces you to walk away from your performance. You know what I mean? Instead of sitting there and laboring over like the perfect snare hit or something or the perfect vocal take, like you have to be pushed out. Oh, I agree. And, and the most successful. Uh, and it's like you said, perfectly imperfect. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I don't know if the audio cut out of your, but, um, when I've spoken to a lot of the successful artists, they always say that you need to go in there prepared. So do your rehearsals or whatever, and then get in the studio and then just knock it out. And that's how you capture yep. energy or lightning in a bottle. Um, since right. we're speaking of Montreal, you are coming back here on October 1st as part of the mm -hmm. Skillet Alter Bridge tour. Um, talk to me a little bit about that tour. I happened to see Skillet at Heavy Montreal for the first time uh, ever. And... That guy, John Cooper, first of all, a nicer guy you could not meet. I mean, absolute sweetheart. And I don't know. Yep. If, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm saying it. Absolute sweetheart. <laughs> and I saw their set. Holy mackerel. So so this is going to be a triple bill of just holy mackerel all night. Um, talk to me a little bit about that tour and some of the other tours. You've opened up for The Who. You've done some slash dates. It's you got a good tour. It's been schedule. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty crazy. We're you know obviously um, you know Alter Bridge is, is Miles Kennedy's band. Um, you know, so we were with him last night in Toronto, and he's very nice too, very gracious. Um, you know, and he can sing like he doesn't sing a bad note ever, um, which is crazy. And then uh, yeah, we're really pumped to go out with Skillet for the first time. He's got a great following, and they're a great band. We we were with them at Impact. Um, music festival in Bangor, Maine. Yeah. In uh, Montreal. I haven't met them yet, but... Um, I'm losing a little bit of your audio. I don't know if you can talk a little louder. Oh, am I... Am I uh, oh, there we cutting go. Cutting out on you? You were cutting out big um, time, yeah. But yeah, so... Oh, you, no. Yeah, I was just saying we uh, got to got to see um, Skillet at Impact Festival in Bangor, Maine um, for the first time. And then uh, we saw them, obviously, in Montreal. Just got to catch a little of their set. But we haven't met those guys yet. But uh, I'm sure we'll cross paths, you know, before the tour starts again. Yeah, and, and you'll love uh, you'll love the lead guy, uh, John. He's great. Um, yeah, talk I've to heard me. good things. And, and um, yeah, obviously, you know, being out with Slash is great. And uh, opening for The Who was like nothing else we've ever done. I mean, that was the only first and only arena show that we've done. And it was like... It blew away all my expectations. So, well, okay. Let me ask you just quickly about the Who. Do you learn anything from that? Because there's playing covers in a bar, there's opening for Slash, and then they're seeing sort of that big arena or even stadium show with somebody like the Who. And and the big shows just they run on a different level. They run on a different energy, and that's not to insult anybody. You know, it's just a different beast. Do you stop and and and? sort of poke around and say, ah, okay, I got to remember that for like, do you learn anything uh, from a gig like that? I think, um, anybody on the sort of level that we've been, you know, uh, lucky enough to, to be on from, from Slash and the Who and God, I mean, the, the, the list has been crazy, but, um, there's a professionalism to anybody that's been doing it for that long. Right. There's, you know, Pete Townsend likes his, his monitor mix a certain way. He has a certain regimen that he follows. Same with Roger Daltrey and Miles Kennedy, especially singers. Like they have a, you know, they're doing vocal warm-ups all the time. They're taking care of their voice. They're not, you know, they're not snorting cocaine and like 
getting getting crazy after the gigs. Like if there's another gig the following night, they're taking care of themselves now, and um, that's just certainly something I've picked up on in in my few short years here. But I even got to see like Rod Stewart in studio like years ago um, doing vocal warm ups. You know, before he went and recorded, and I was just like, you know, if, if that's what this guy's doing at 65, 70 years old, then, you know, I, I, it's certainly not above me to do it as well if I want to take care of this self and have, like, longevity in, in this industry. So that's what I've been taking away from it more than anything. And, and the biggest thing you see, too, is the passion. Like, everybody still loves performing. So um, it's it's nice to see, honestly. Oh, it's it's great to see. Uh, you mentioned the Black Crows before, and, and as I listened to Dirty Honey, and, and as I saw you at Heavy Montreal, and hoping to see you in in October again, I, I, I sensed the band had some of that Black Crows energy, and then I listened to some other stuff, and you hear some of the Zeppelin energy, and then you, you look over and you go, well, it's a little bit like Buck Cherry, too. The, where do you sort of see your sound, and how do you sort of see the sound evolving? Because you, you're you're none of those bands but you're a little bit of those bands as well. How, how do you sort of see Dirty Honey establishing its sound? Um, I think, you know, like the four of us have, you know, we, we definitely have a love of rock and roll. Um, everybody loves Zeppelin, ACDC, The Stones, Aerosmith, The Black Crows, Soundgarden, um, Stone Temple Pilots. Like it, we all have common interests, but there's also like the favorites seem to differ like the, the true favorite like mine is Aerosmith Corey's I would say is probably like Van Halen John is a big uh, Queen ACDC Guns N' Roses guy um, Justin is a huge Guns N' Roses fan so I think you know all those influences sort of poke out but when they're put into the context of a band yeah they're not they're not any one thing so it, it becomes something fresh which I think is cool and, and um, you know I think over time you know, like Guns N' Roses. When Guns N' Roses came out, they were compared to a lot of people too. And, you know, now it's just become this identifiable sound that is unmistakable, you know, 20, 30 years later. So I think you just need a little time and, and some constant, like, familiarity with an audience to be identifiable forever as Dirty Honey, you know? Yeah. Oh, I agree. And and I'll I'll remind the folks the uh, Dirty Honey EP is available now. And I'll ask you uh, just a couple more uh, questions. Um, you know, it has been said that rock is dead, which I completely don't believe. I think that's the most st- stupid thing, quite frankly, to say. Yeah. But I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, they they said jazz was dead back in the 1930s, and and there's plenty of jazz festivals going around that would that would dispute mm-hmm. that. Um, but okay, maybe rock doesn't sell the way it did in 1985. Okay, maybe. Uh, nothing well, does that. Nothing, nothing does. But was there a thought when you got into the music business of, do I want to do what's in my heart, which is rock and roll, or do you say, okay, I want to be a rock star and I want to sell a million albums, so I'm gonna go and and be techno. I'm gonna. How did you sort of come to rock and roll? No, and, I mean. No. I mean, it's just, again, it's just passion. Like if you're not, I don't think you could last if you're not going to follow your passion. I think you're just wasting your time. If it's, I actually know people who, who don't, you know, who sort of chase what's um, commercially viable at the time. And it's it's never going to, it just won't work because that, that is always changing, right? You're, 
you have to be, I mean, Mick Jagger will say it, like you have to be extremely lucky um, to, to be in, to be something that fits with what society is sort of looking for. And I think we're sort of on this uptick of rock and roll right now because that audience has been starved for so long for something that is actually uh, authentic. So, um, you know, we're just glad that it's, it's in line with our release. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can, hopefully we can do it for a long time. That'd be nice. That's definitely the uh, objective. But yeah, if you're, if you're not doing, if you're not following your, your true musical passion, you're just spinning your wheels. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, when, when you see Guns N' Roses have a billion dollar grossing tour, you see Def Leppard doing millions of dollars, uh, you know, you see, you see yeah. Metallica's like, yeah, okay, rock is dead. Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. they're the biggest tours, that, you know, other than, the, you know, probably Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift, like they are the biggest tours of yes. the year, every year. And, you know, to your point, again, like there's pictures of me on, on Instagram and stuff me as like a, a third grader dressed up as Steven Tyler, you know, for Halloween. If there's, if there's any question as to what I wanted to do with my life, there's that'll, that'll clear it up. I think pretty quickly, it was either going to be a hockey player or a rock star. That, that sounds like twisted sister. What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. Right? <laughs> yeah. right, right. And so that's what you're doing. Okay. Now, now you mentioned hockey, which is, uh, exciting to us folks in, uh, Montreal and maybe maybe if the Canadians are playing in October we can go check them out but um you are a That'd Pittsburgh Penguins fan which is regrettable but <laughs> talk, talk yeah. to me yeah you know I'm a Habs fan but and but I talk, should be I should be I, I'm in you know listen I grew up literally my neighbor was Ken Dryden so oh no way yes Absolutely. If if you ever, well, in fact, in October, if you want, I'll I'll drive you out to Ken Dryden's house because it's it's right next to my house. But um, well, it was next to my house. He's no longer here. But uh, talk to me just about your your passion for for hockey and sports because a lot of folks go, oh, I'm a rock and roller. I don't really like. I know a lot of rock and rollers where you talk football and stuff, or or they're like, ah, just I just want to play with my guitar. I don't I don't deal with sports. Um. Talk to me about this passion for hockey. How, how did you sort of develop that? And with that, we lost a cell service for a couple of seconds, but let's get right back to Dirty Honey singer Mark LaBelle. So you had Ken Dryden as a neighbor, huh? Uh, yes, I did have Ken Dryden, the uh, hockey player, as uh, my uh, my neighbor. And what I, what always I found amazing about Ken back in the day is for Halloween, when we would go trick-or-treating, instead of giving mm-hmm. candy out, he would give... Habs puck or or Montreal Canadiens logoed pucks to to us and or to the kids or whatever, and of course yep. back in the seventies, that kind of merchandising or that kind of thing of getting a puck with a logo was really like like striking gold. You you couldn't really go down to yeah. Target or to Walmart and buy a you know a Habs puck. Now you can buy twenty Habs pucks at at any old you know convenience store, but yeah, it, it was something and. I don't know if you follow baseball, but down the street, a few houses down, we had Bill Stoneman, the pitcher for the Expos. He, he was the one who first who threw the first no hitter. I, I have figured he would be an Expos pitcher, of course. Yeah, so so we had an an, an Expos pitcher. We had we you're had, getting hockey pucks and balls and uh, yes. for, for Halloween every day. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so year. so we had like the all star pitcher, the all star goalie, and we had a quarterback named Joe Barnes who who was the starter for the Montreal Alouettes. So yeah, I had I had like the three kings That's of cool. Montreal sports down the street, and uh, 
Yeah, so it sounded like you had a heavy uh, Halloween trick or treat bag. Oh, it, it, yeah, definitely. And 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 the kids that would uh, um, shovel his lawn, uh, not his shovel his lawn, shovel his driveway. Well, he would give them sticks, yep. game sticks. And this is like, holy oh, that's fuck. awesome. Yeah, and I, I wasn't one of them, but I, I, you know, we would talk. The kids would talk. I got a, got a stick from. But yeah, good old, uh, good so old. Cool. Uh, yeah, isn't it? And uh, I have to say, uh, he moved away when I was about eleven or twelve. When he quit the Habs and, and moved away. And I was working on a TV show for PBS somewhere, God, I, I must have been about 25 years old. And he, he was scheduled to be one of the guests because he ended up being a member of parliament. And he walked in and he goes, hey, Mitch Lafon from so-and-so. And I was like, how the hell do you remember what an 11-year-old looks like 15 years later? Like, how right. you, that's the kind of guy he was. He he took the time. He knew who you, are, who you were. Just a, a sweetheart. But anyway... Um, talk to me a little about how, how do you get into being a hockey fan? Because we don't think of rock and rollers as sports fans sometimes, which is silly, but you know, sometimes yeah, no, I mean, I grew up not too far. I grew up in uh, a little town named Schenectady, New York, about three hours south of Montreal. So I've been to um, Schenectady. I saw Lou Graham there at Christmas this year or 2018. Oh, no way. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Um, was it at the new casino? No, it wasn't at the casino. It was at the, uh, what was it called? The Palace? Something like that? The oh, Palace Theater, yeah. Palace nice theater. theater. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Yep. Yep. Um, super old theater. Every It seems that every city has that very old um, sort of palace type theater. It's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I actually started um, my hockey career not too far um, down the road from the Palace Theater at a place called, uh, I'm totally blanking on the name, but I don't think it's there anymore. Um, but I started when I was two, played until I was almost right until college, and then I actually went to college and um, played lacrosse. Um, played Division One lacrosse down in New York City, and then um, yeah, I've been once I once I finished lacrosse, my lacrosse career, like the better sport to sort of you know play sort of recreationally was hockey. So I still play several times a week and. Uh, I go to games all the time. Our manager has King season tickets and, you know, I was following the Penguins. The Penguins were in town in New York City, like whether they're playing the Islanders or the Devils or the Rangers, um, you know, for, they probably come into town like 10 times a year. So it's pretty easy to keep tabs on them. Oh, it is. Now, uh, I'll ask you this and, and, and it'll be more of an inside comment because folks won't understand, but Winnipeg Jets or Montreal Canadiens, who would you pick? Well, I have some ties to the um, to the Jets right now. So oh. this guy that we uh, yep we got this guy we uh, skate with is their assistant coach. Um, man, but yeah, my first game ever, my first NHL game ever was at the old Montreal Forum. So they have a special place in my heart. For yeah, sure. they they do, and uh, we'll remind folks I saw that yeah. Patrick Roy play against the uh, Buffalo Sabers, and I was like, God, I must have been like ten or something. Wow. It's and pretty cool. That, that must have been what? a good first uh, experience. 89-90, somewhere around there, I guess? Oh, God, no. Um, God, when did he go to Colorado? It must, have been, it must have been a year before he went to Colorado. I can't remember. But Jeez, um, uh, I can't remember either. Yeah, it was, it was in with one of our, um, like, Montreal, you know, weekend hockey trips with, with the youth hockey team, so. Yeah, well, the that, that Albany... 
Burlington, Vermont, Montreal corridor, corridor, a lot of great exchanges. I mean, when I used to play, I used to mm-hmm. do that that those trips too, and it's it's, it's nice. It's 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 a great way to sort of unite people and get stuff going. But uh, I will remind folks, of course, that the uh, Dirty Honey EP is available now. Do check it out. Head over to uh, Spotify or wherever you get your music from. And uh, Mark, I, w- I will say, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you. Merci. Yeah, it was uh, great talking to you guys. And um, yeah, we'll be back there, what, October 1st, right? Correct, October 1st. And I hold on, I believe it's the MTELUS. I think that's where you're playing. Let me... Uh, yes. Yes, yes. That's yeah, that's a, I don't know if you've ever been to that venue, but that's that is such a great venue. There there is not a chance that the sound is bad. That that venue to me, and I've been around the world, I think it has some of the best sound ever. It's just great really? for all, yeah, it's great. If, I've if, yet to see a show anywhere in Montreal other than, you know, at at the festival. So, um I'm really looking forward to I'm really looking forward to spending some time there. We didn't get to spend much time in the city. Um, and I was telling the boys on the way up, like, you know, this is probably the prettiest city in North America. You know, it's just so different from anything, even in Canada, um, you know, let alone like LA and Miami and New York. Like it's just got its own, it's got its own thing happening there, which I really love. It's very European. And, um, I, I really took a liking to Montreal cause I went up and visited a couple of years ago, just with a girlfriend and, um, it's a great town. It's got its own great culture and uh yeah you're gonna love it. uh yeah they'll they'll have a good time and, sure. and m Telus is is right by uh chinatown so you if you if you have a chance to walk around you'll also have a great meal so it, it, it's going to be a great cool. it's going to be a great day and i'll be happy to show you around that, by the way uh, if, you, if you need me to drive nice. you yeah I'm happy to show you around and you want to drive the band around a couple of uh degenerates around montreal i don't know if the cops might uh pull you over <laughs> a little easier but uh <laughs> I, I do it all the time. Why not? But uh, on, a little I, bit of aggravation never. Heard. Nah, what the hell? It's all it's all part of rock and roll. Anyway, I, I unfortunately have another interview in about four minutes. But uh, Mark, no worries. Merci, absolute pleasure. And uh, folks, that uh, do check out the Skillet Alter Bridge Dirty Honey uh, tour and uh, check out the EP. That that tour is going to be spectacular. Miles delivers all the time. John Skillet, f- awesome. And Dirty Honey, which a lot of people are saying was the band of the weekend or the discovery of the weekend at Heavy Montreal. It's going to be it's going to be a killer package. Merci, monsieur. Love it. Thank you. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk.